0: in our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Mark chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, and tonight we want to look at the very last event in the Gospels, Mark 16 verse 19. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for every portion of it, and we just pray that you would teach us. Father, help us to appreciate uh, the life and death and resurrection and ascension an enthronement of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we just ask that you would teach us now through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we looked at the historical event of the ascension in the writings of Luke at the end of his gospel, as well as in uh, the book of Acts, also by Luke. And lo- Luke revealed uh, the location of the ascension at the Mount of Olives, He recorded the Lord's blessing upon the disciples as he was ascending. He also recorded for us the worship, the response of the disciples. They worshiped him. And he also spoke of the manner of the ascension. Jesus ascended into heaven physically, bodily, visibly, gradually, and in a cloud and from the Mount of Olives. And so there is a lot of information that we have about the actual event of the Lord's Ascension. In fact, most of what we know about the Ascension uh, in the New Testament comes from uh, the, the author Luke. And in the New Testament, in the Gospels, only Luke and Mark wrote about the event itself. John never mentions it. Now, he records the words of Jesus where Jesus repeatedly said, I'm going to be with my father. I'm leaving you behind. Jesus spoke of it, but uh, John never recorded the actual event of the ascension. And Matthew ends his version of the Great Commission, and he also says nothing about the ascension. And so Mark is the one who includes for us the actual ascension But he gives it to us in just one verse, and we just read it, verse 19. But what he writes is remarkable and placed in exactly the right location in the Gospels. So here we just read in verse 19, Mark tells us two more vital facts about the ascension. One was that Jesus ascended into heaven, and the second is that he sat down. He he ascended into heaven, and he sat down. Now, Luke doesn't bring us that far. In Acts chapter 1, in verse 9, Luke writes, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So in Acts, Luke describes the ascension as from the earth, Jesus left the earth, he ascended up, and he went into the clouds in the atmosphere above the earth, all in the earthly realm. He saw the Lord Jesus ascending, and they watched him as he gradually ascended into the clouds until they could no longer see or hear him. Remember, he was blessing them as he was going up. So this was gradual, not the twinkling of an eye like the rapture. He was ascending gradually. He spoke to them, and finally he was out of their uh, vision, and they could no longer hear him, and he was gone. And so this was the gradual disappearance of the Lord Jesus, and it was different from what the disciples had seen before. You know, as we read through the the final stages of the Lord's earthly ministry— after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciples several times. Suddenly, instantly, he just appeared, and also he suddenly disappeared. And we saw that in Luke chapter 24, where it says, uh, the Lord Jesus sat down to meet with, he sat down to eat meet with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They convinced him to come into Emmaus and and fellowship together and eat there, and he ate with them. And then it says, after he taught them, their eyes were opened, and he vanished. He was gone, instantly gone. And then, not long after that, we read uh, also in the Gospel of John that the disciples from Emmaus, after Jesus vanished, they went right back to Jerusalem. And they were meeting, the disciples met in that room, and all the doors were locked, all the windows were locked because they were afraid of the uh, Jewish religious leaders. And Jesus was not there, and suddenly he was there. He instantly appeared. This is in his glorified form after the resurrection. And that text doesn't say, but I think we can assume that he left in the same way, he vanished. But if you notice in our passage in Mark 16, in verse 19, Luke tells us, he picks it up where, uh, rather, Mark picks it up where Luke left off. Luke, Luke said that he ascended into the clouds. And here we read in verse 19 that Mark says he was received from the clouds, he was received up into heaven. And then he was seated at the right hand of the Father. So Luke records the ascension with Jesus leaving the heaven, the earthly realm. Mark records the ascension, Jesus entering the heavenly realm. And Mark reveals that Jesus actually entered heaven itself, and he was there exalted. And then notice also in verse 19 that when Jesus entered into the heavenly realm, into the third heaven... It says that he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, that's important. He sat down at the right hand of God. That's the seat of honor. That's the seat of power and authority. And we read that throughout the scriptures. For example, in Psalm 118, speaking about the Messiah, it says that uh, he was at the right hand of the Lord, exalted. So to be at God's right hand, that is an exalted place. And that's where the Lord Jesus went when he ascended into heaven. And then we read in Acts chapter 2 in verse 33, where Luke writes, he says, therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted. Again, Luke writes of Christ exalted at the right hand of the Father, the place of power and honor and exaltation. And Peter writes of the same thing. Peter tells us in his first epistle, about Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God and angels and authorities and powers, angelic powers, being made subject unto him. So Jesus ascended into heaven, was seated at the right hand of God in heaven in an exalted position, God's throne, and from there the angels were all subjected unto him. Remember when he became a man, he was made a little lower than the angels. Not anymore. And so Jesus sat at the right hand of the Father, the place of divine glory. Remember what he prayed in his high priestly prayer? He said, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So in his high priestly prayer, as he knew that he was about to die and be raised from the dead and ascend into heaven, he said to the Father, I'm coming home, and I'm going to be seated with you, and I'm going to be sharing again in that same glory, that same divine radiance that we shared through all the eternal ages. And the Lord Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and was exalted, and his period of humiliation was over. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and let's read verses 7 and 8. Here we have a description of the Incarnation. But he made himself of no reputation, he emptied himself, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So Philippians 2.7 tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ emptied himself, He emptied himself, not of all, as our song tells us, not of all but love. He emptied himself of that outward display of his divine glory. And he emptied himself of his use. He willfully laid aside his use of his divine prerogatives, his divine attributes. He did not use them for himself. And so he took a a lowly place. He emptied himself in the incarnation. And verse 8 says, and from there, after he emptied himself, he thought it not robbery. He didn't think it was something that he had to grasp onto, that outward manifestation of his divine radiance and the expression of his divine powers. He willingly laid that aside. And then in verse 8, we're told that he humbled himself and became a man. And from that time on was his period of humiliation. He entered a sin-cursed earth in a mortal body. Not a sinful, he wasn't sinful, but he had a mortal body capable of suffering and pain and death. And he humbled himself, and he was made, the creator of all, was made a little lower than the angels in the incarnation. But when he ascended into heaven, all of that was reversed. He's no longer humbled. He's exalted at the Father's right hand. And he's no longer a little lower than the angels. He ascended far above the angelic realm, we read in Ephesians chapter 4. And he's no longer emptied of his use, his free use of his divine attributes, now in heaven he has full use of his attributes and he can use them as he did prior to the incarnation. And his glory is no longer veiled. And so now the Lord Jesus ascends into heaven and he is seated at the Father's right hand, that place of exaltation, that place of divine glory. In other words, he's finally home. And there the angels worship him. Imagine thinking, uh, try to put yourself in the uh, shoes, if they wear shoes, of the angels in heaven. They saw the creator, the one who made them, become a creature that was lower than them. And they saw him suffer and die, and now he's ascended back up to the Father's right hand again and all that's reversed and now they're back to worshipping him in heaven. And this is how the gospels end. The ascension and the the exaltation of Christ. Now, if you turn to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 52, Isaiah chapter 52, your Bible might want to open to chapter 53, but try to avoid that, and go to chapter 52. The Old Testament spoke about the ascension and the exaltation of Messiah. And we read in Isaiah chapter... I'm in Psalm 52. It looks a little different. Isaiah chapter 52... And here, the prophet Isaiah is speaking about the Messiah, and he's referred to as the servant of the Lord. He's the servant of the Lord. And notice in verse 13, knowing about what he's going to write in chapter 53, about his death and his suffering, his oppression, his affliction, he says in verse 13 about, The Lord's servant, behold, my servant shall deal prudently, and he shall be exalted and extolled and shall be very high. And so here the prophet Isaiah predicted the ascension of Christ into heaven. This is not a reference to the resurrection of Christ, but it's a resurrection, it's a reference to his ascension into heaven, his exaltation. To that place that is very high. Isaiah is about to predict that this Messiah king, who is a divine person, is going to die in chapter 56, but he warns his readers he's going to be exalted very high. (laughs) And then turn to Psalm 68. Psalm 68. Psalm 68 and verse 18. And here we have some familiar words. Here David writes, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Now these words are recorded for us, they're quoted by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 10. And Paul applies these passage, this passage to the, to the Messiah, whom we know is Jesus Christ, who ascended into heaven, and from heaven he gave gifts unto men, which we now know refer to the gifts of evangelists and pastors for the functioning of the body of Christ. And so the Old Testament spoke of the Messiah coming dying, and being glorified once again, ascending into heaven. And Mach, in his gospel, reveals the fulfillment of these Old Testament predictions. Here, Mach reveals that after his suffering and death, he was received up into heaven, and he was seated at the right hand of God. But think of this. When the Lord Jesus returned to glory, he was, in some ways, a very different being. When he left heaven, he was the second second person of the Trinity. He always was, he always will be. That never changed. But when he left heaven, when he was there, he was God. He was a pure spirit. He had no body. And as the second person of the Godhead, he radiated with the full glory of God, as did the Father, who was a spirit, and the Holy Spirit, who is obviously a spirit. And in heaven, the Lord Jesus used all of his divine powers, and there were no limitations on him. But when he left to become a man, he emptied himself of that outward display. Not of his deity, but the display of it, the use of it. It was all veiled in human flesh. But when he returned to glory and he was received up into heaven, it wasn't, he didn't look like the same bodiless spirit, the second person of the Godhead. Now he ascends into heaven as a glorified God-man, fully man and fully God in one person. Complete with the nail prints in his hands and in his feet. And now he's, glor- he's back in heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, Mark tells us. Exalted back to that position that he had through all the eternal ages with his Father. And he returned to the full outward glory. Only now, it's radiating through a human body. A resurrected, glorified human body suited for eternity. And Jesus returned. He ascended into heaven as the very first human being ever to enter into heaven in a glorified body. The first fruits of the resurrection. And Mark says he was received up into heaven. That word "received" can also be understood, and I think it is here, welcomed. Welcomed back. Mm-hmm by the Father, and by the myriad of angels that were so enthralled by the story of Christ, the God becoming a man. They marveled at that all through his earthly ministry. And now he's returned. He sat down on the right hand of the Father in a glorified human body. And Mark tells us that he sat down. That implies something else very important. It implies that his work on earth was done. He finished his work on earth, tetelestai. It is finished. That's what he said on the cross. Mission accomplished. And so Jesus, the substance, was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament shadows. He was the Lamb of God that all the other lambs offered on Jewish altars only looked, for, looked ahead to. They were shadows of it, illustrations. The author of Hebrews tells us, in, right at the very beginning of the book, speaking about the Son of God, that he was in the brightness of the Father's glory. Now, the Father radiated in glory, but the brightness of that glory was the second person of the Trinity. An amazing thought. And the author of Hebrews tells us that he was the express image of his father. Exactly the same deity, the same attributes. And he was the one that holds all things together by his power. And it says that when he had purged our sins, the author of Hebrews 1 tells us, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, the Father. So the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven in a glorified human body, suited for all eternity, and he sat down at the, on the seat of deity, right on the right hand, the place of honor and power and exaltation, on the right hand of his Father, and he sat down, the author of Hebrews tells us, because the work of purging sins was finished. It was done. Now, the Old Testament priests, their work was never done. There was no chair. There was no throne in the holy place. There was no chair or throne in the yards outside. There were no chairs anywhere because the work of the priest was never done because the sacrifice they offered, the blood of bulls and goats, could never purge sin. They could never take it away. But Hebrews 10 tells us every priest standeth. When they ministered, they stood. Every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices. So they always stood when they offered the sacrifice, and they offered many sacrifices week after week after week, year after year after year, century after century. But this man, the Lord Jesus... After he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he ascended into heaven. Hebrews doesn't tell us that. But then the next phrase says, and he sat down at the right hand of God. That one sacrifice finished the job. That's what he came to do. Mission accomplished. He provided the sacrifice that was sufficient to purge the sins, all the sins of all the sinners in all the world in every age, And when he did that, he ascended into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Redemption was finished. All the Old Testament shadows were fulfilled with the substance. Sin and Satan and the world system have all been conquered and defeated by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so this is where the four Gospels take us to the ascension of Jesus Christ. The Gospels, that was the story of the birth and the life and the ministry and the death and resurrection, and just a little bit about the ascension at the end. And that's where they end, with the God-man seated at the right hand of God in heaven because his work was finished. Now let's think for a minute about the significance of the Gospels' ending with the ascension. This is is still Old Testament economy in the Gospels. The church had not yet begun. It was in God's mind. It was part of God's plan. But the Gospels bring us right up to the point of the ascension. And Jesus Christ is now in heaven... He had been made lower than the angels. Now he's exalted above the angels. He's exalted as the God-man in heaven. His work of purging sins is over. And that becomes the basis of God's new program, the church. And it's from heaven that we have the revelation of the continuing ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ on earth in God's new program, the church. The church could not begin until after the ascension. The church is built upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. It couldn't exist in the gospel period And the relationship that we have to Jesus Christ is nothing like what the Jews had to the earthly Messiah King offering a kingdom in the gospel period. The church is related not to that earthly Jesus in a mortal body. Our only relationship to Christ is to the exalted, glorified God-man seated at the right hand of power. All power is given unto him in heaven and in earth. And that's the basis of our salvation, the finished work of Christ. And his ascension, that's the basis of our new position in Christ, in heavenly places, raised up with him. And that's the basis of our sanctification as well. So we've been spending a lot of time looking at the birth, the life, the ministry of Christ. But what we see in the Gospels is the revelation of Christ from, the starting point from, his incarnation and birth in Bethlehem. And that's the beginning of the Gospels, the birth of Christ, and it ends, it takes us right up to the glorified God-man in heaven. God descends to earth in a human body, a mortal human body, capable of death, which was necessary for redemption. And the gospels end with all of that reversed. And Christ is in heaven. And that's our relationship to the risen, glorified Savior whose work is finished. And also... The ascension is essential to the establishment of the church. Remember how the book of Acts began? I think we read this last time or maybe the week before. In Acts 1.1 where Luke writes, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, reveal what Jesus began to do in his earthly ministry. And then the book of Acts is what Jesus continues to do, not on earth, but from heaven. The risen ascended. He ascended far above the angels, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And there could be no church apart from the ascension of Jesus Christ. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 32, here we read, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted. So this is a message preached on the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church, And Peter is letting them know that Jesus was raised up by God, and there were many witnesses there that day that saw the resurrected Christ, Christ in his post-resurrection ministry. And now, because of that, he is at the right hand of God, exalted. And from that position in heaven, it says that he had received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. Remember that in the Great Commission, the disciples were told to go, but not yet. Go, but wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And now the Lord Jesus is in heaven. The day of Pentecost has come. He's exalted, and the promise of the Holy Ghost was given. And the Lord Jesus directed the Holy Spirit to come to earth, on the day of pentecost to begin baptizing men, women and children into this new man, the body of Christ, the church. And he says, which you now see and hear. They saw the they saw the spirit that visualized by the tongues of fire and they heard the the mighty wind. And so it was from heaven that they ascended Christ, whose work on earth was finished, sent the Holy Spirit to begin the church. There could be no church without the ascension. It could never have started on earth. This was the birthday of the church. And contrary to some in Christendom today, there are some, even some dispensationalists, believe it or not, that uh, in many ways are dispensational, especially in their eschatology, But some still believe that Jesus and his apostles were the... This was the beginning of the church in the gospel period when Jesus uh, gathered the uh, apostles together. And where two or three of them met, that was the church. Uh, That's a misreading of the book of Acts for sure. There could be no church apart from the ascension of Christ because from heaven he sent the comforter. And the church began. And this ascension was necessary. And we also read, and remember in Ephesians chapter 4, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. So here Paul is quoting uh, from the book of Psalms, and he relates this to the Lord Jesus Christ, where he ascended into heaven, and from heaven... He supplied gifts, or gifted men, to teach in the church the body of Christ. He gave gifts unto men. Now, he that ascended, what is it, but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things, and he gave, here are the gifts that he gave, some Apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So it wasn't until the ascension that this new man was given gifts so that the body might function. Apart from the ascension, the church would have no spiritual gifts. No ascension, no gifts, no gifts, no capacity for the body to function. And that means there could be no church. And then Luke tells us something else. In the Old Testament, in the gospel period, that's what Jesus began to do and to teach. In the book of Acts, we just mentioned this, when the church began, that's what the Messiah, who is now the exalted head of this new body, now from heaven, he is directing the church from heaven. Totally different perspective. And so the book of Acts records for us, not just the works of the apostles, as our, the, title, the uninspired title of the book says, but it's more than that. It's the work of the ascended Christ, who through his spirit works through his apostles. And that's what he continues to do on earth. He began ministering That was rejected, and now he continues to minister on earth, but in a totally different way and from a totally different perspective from heaven. And we get a little glimpse of that. As we read through the book of Acts, how the head directs the body. Remember in our study of of Paul's missionary journeys? They were... Decided to go up to Bithynia, but then the Lord, through his spirit, directed them elsewhere, and they ended up in Troas, which is where the head wanted them. And remember in Paul's ministry when he was discouraged in Acts chapter 23, it says, And the night following the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer. Wouldn't that be great when you're discouraged? If the Lord appeared right next to you and said, Be not discouraged, be of good cheer. Did you know that you have something better than that? Christ lives in you. And he's already said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We don't need those kinds of experiences, but we do need to believe what the Bible says. And so the Lord works through his church on earth today. He is still directing his body. And also, it was only after the ascension When the Lord Jesus Christ entered into heaven, when he began to minister to a new priesthood, after the he's a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, and now we are priests today. And from heaven, he has a different ministry. Now he is sustaining. He began the church on the day of Pentecost, and he is sustaining the church through his high priestly ministry. Hebrews 7 says that this man, because he continueth forever, he's a high priest forever, and the point of the Melchizedekian priesthood is that it's a priesthood that knows no beginning or end. And that's our high priest. And it says in that same passage, he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So Jesus Christ is always praying for us always praying for us, endlessly praying for us. And we read also in Hebrews chapter 4, we have a great high priest who is passed into the heavens. That's his ascension, entering heaven. And he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. So whatever struggles we're going through, he knows all about it. And he's omniscient. And he has experienced every trial, every struggle that we face, apart from those that arise from a sin nature. And he tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace. He sustains us in this age because he has finished his work on earth He's been touched with all the struggles and trials and difficulties of a uh, living a life in a mortal body in a sin-cursed earth. He's experienced it all. Now he's passed into the heavens. All power is given unto him, and he has all power to sustain us through whatever we're going through. And so our relationship to Christ is not to a carpenter from Galilee But it's to the risen, glorified, ascended, and enthroned God-man in heaven. And he entered into heaven within the veil, the book of Hebrews tells us. We have that great hope. It's an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth in within the veil, and whither the forerunner is for us entered. Even Jesus made a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. When Christ ascended into heaven, he entered into the most holy place of God within the veil. Because when he died, entrance into that most holy place was opened. And having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, that most holy sanctuary in heaven for the closest, sweetest communion imaginable, it's by the blood of Jesus Christ, a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh when he died on the cross, so that we who live after the gospel period, we who live after the cross, we who live after the uh, resurrection and ascension and enthronement and exaltation of Christ in heaven, we also are able to enter in to the holiness, holiest place through the blood of Christ. And why is that? Because we are identified with Christ through his ascension. Now, we often think of, we know that we died with Jesus and we rose with Jesus, but the Bible also tells us that when he ascended, we ascended into heaven. We're in Christ, in heavenly places. We ascended with him. God is, when we were born again, he raised us up into heavenly places. So our soul and spirit have been raised up and we're to dwell there. We're to abide in Christ who is in heaven. And as we do... We have the power of the resurrection available to us. Listen to this in Ephesians 1. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? Exceeding greatness of divine power is available to usward, to all of us as believers. And it's because he raised Jesus from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but that which is to come. The one who is made lower than the angels is far above them. He's back in his throne of deity as head over all things to the church. And that great power of the resurrection is now available to all those in him. And if you're born again, that's the power that God gives us. We have the power of the resurrection available to obey God, to stand firm, to endure life circumstances that want to drag us down. We have the power to be the kind of witness God would have us to be. We have the power of God, the power of the resurrection, so that we can exhibit self-control and agape love and grace and forgiveness and live a resurrected and ascended life. And that's our new position. And that's where our life is. And it's from that heavenly position that we're to live. And if we understand that, remember we mentioned this morning, Miles Standard used to say, the way up is down. He also used to say, keep looking down. Most Christians say, look up. Yes, we can look up the Lord's coming, but we're to dwell up there in heavenly places, and we're to keep also looking down at our earthly life because it's from heaven that we are sourced with infinite power for everyday life. Amazing. Mark is the only one of the Gospels. Luke uh, brings us almost there. Luke brings us in the ascension where Jesus went up to the clouds in the atmosphere around the earth, But Luke brings us all the way up where he was received into heaven and he sat down at the Father's right hand. So that's the story of the the four Gospels from the Incarnation to the Ascension. And these are both vital Christian doctrines from the shadow to the substance from Israel to the church, from law to grace. And the gospel period ends after the Great Commission, after these men are told to go out and preach this good news unto the uttermost parts of the earth, they're to wait, don't go out quite yet, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father on the day of Pentecost, and then go. And Jesus said, and I will be with you even unto the end of the age. And the power of the resurrection goes with every missionary today because Jesus ascended into heaven. And that's the end of the Gospels. We began this study on February eighth, 2013. And 10 years later, it ended on such a positive note. In heaven, his work is finished. And now we can go and tell the world. Wonderful study. Lord willing, we are going to be starting a study of the book of Revelation next week. Lord willing. And that will probably take us into about a third way through the uh, tribulation period. (laughs) No, we won't be in the tribulation period. But (laughs) it's... It took the Lord about, most of the gospel period takes place, it covers three and a half years of his life, most of the gospel. And it took us almost three times that to get through the the material. But have mercy on me because Jesus said, really, if you're going to write the story, the whole world couldn't contain all the books and all the documents that could be written, so... I'm kind of sad. This has been a part of my life for the last 10 years, studying uh, the Gospels, the life and ministry of Christ. But uh, the book of Revelation, I think it's something that will be helpful for us in these crazy days in which we live. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ, for his ministry on earth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And Father, we rejoice that he's coming again. And we just pray that you would help us to be uh, sharing that good news wherever we go. And we'll thank and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.